0: ready to have some fun today? I got a cool testimony. Uh, A pastor friend of mine uh, just uh, sent me this. I just spoke with a woman who years ago, her kidneys absolutely shut down. She did not know what happened and became incredibly sick and feverish. had to be rushed to the hospital. There was so much poison in her body, she almost died. She called the people of the church to, to come lay hands on her, and they did, but nothing happened. While she did recover eventually from being sick, she was told by her doctor that she would be on kidney dialysis for the rest of her life. After six months of being on dialysis, they suddenly canceled her appointments. She called up her doctor and demanded to know why she got why and got the nurse on the phone. She was convinced that she was dying, and that's why they canceled her appointments. The nurse said she no longer needed dialysis, that the doctor did not know why, but now she had the kidneys of a newborn child and that there was no explanation for it. Come on. How many of you guys know you don't stop believing after the prayer ends? Some people, if it's a long prayer, their faith doesn't make it to the end of their prayer, but not this group. This group's different. I wanna to talk to you, uh, I was gonna call it A New Kind of Love, but I'm gonna change the title. Um, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. Does that sound good? Yeah. So I think a lot of times uh, in churches, we have, we have good intentions, and we'd say th- you know, we, we say things like, listen, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we go, oh man, I, I really need to do that. That's actually how Jesus summed up the law. You, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Old Testament law. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep the law. We're trying to do this. And so people come and they're laying heavy yokes on you. You need to love God more, you know. Jesus rose from the dead. You can't even get out of bed early, you know, and all all these kind of things, right? Here's the new covenant. It says, um, we love him because he first loved us. Man, what what if that takes all the pressure off? See, here's the thing. The degree you're going to love God is the degree that you let him love you. I mean, this works in the natural, too. I mean, someone comes up to you and is like, man, I just, I mean, I, you know, so, I mean, this doesn't happen all the time. I'm not going to pretend it does. But every once in a while, I get a message from someone on Facebook and be like, hey, I've been listening to your teachings. You don't know who I am, but I love your messages. I'm like, I really like this person. I don't know who they are, but, you know, right? It's like if someone comes up and like brags in your kids or something, you're like, you're automatic." like, it just works in the natural. Like, they first love you, you love them. Listen, guys, this is the only way we can love God more is to let him first love us. It's not this trying to keep the law and work it up. And I remember, oh my gosh, I was in this conference and it was, this was probably the worst message I've ever heard in my life. And so this guy gets up there and it was the 12 steps to prosperity. I'm thinking, oh man, what happens if you forget number eight? Like, like the whole thing's just shot, right? Literally, it was like step number one was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of a, that's a lot. Uh, number two was die to self. I'm like, all right, um, hold on. I wrote them down. Uh, number three was walk in the spirit, okay? Four was, I think, abide in the vine, then it was meditate um, day and night, then pray without ceasing. I'm like, oh my gosh, like we have to do all these things to get God to bless us? I've got good news for you. God is going to prosper you because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not because of your amazing behavior, not because you're able to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, pray without ceasing, meditate day and night. That puts the whole responsibility for the new covenant on your shoulders rather than on Jesus' shoulders. So I got some good news for you. You get to love God, but he gets to first love you. So I want to help you encounter that love, not just at an intellectual level, but at an experiential level. I think we hear the word love, and sometimes we we take a human version of it, and we think God's love is just like a super saiyan, like a like a, a giant-sized version of human love. We get like, yeah, that was a Dragon Ball Z reference. Any Dragon Ball Zers out there? Come on. Some of you are like, what is that? Is that a cult? No, it's just an awesome Japanese cartoon. Okay. So here what happens is we uh when we when we use the word love, we're not equating it with God's kind of love, which is a completely different. We say like things like this: I love my wife, I love my dog, I love German sports cars with loud, angry, loud, angry engine exhaust noises coming from a V8 engine, and so like like we like use the word love for lots of different things. I mean, hopefully, the way you love your car and love your wife are like like different categories, right? But it's still human love. It's still love that is is aroused by the loveliness of the object not by the amazingness of my love. That's human love. The greatest philosophical minds throughout the centuries, they would, they would uh, come up and they would try to come up with the best ideals of love, and they could only come up with this. The, a, lot, the, a lot of them were written in Greek. It was the word eros. Eros was human love. And here's the thing. God's kind of love is so different, they had to come up with a whole new word for it. They couldn't use it. They couldn't describe it. They came up with the word. The word is agape. I know, I know it's spelled, it looks like it's spelled agape, but uh, they pronounced it agape, so I'm just going to go with that. Here's the ultimate definition of agape. You ready for this? 1 John 4, 8. God is love. God is agape. Agape is not an emotion that God has. It's his very nature. This is the way he is. He can't be any different. Agape is the eternal choice of God to be for the good of others, to wish their highest and best good regardless of how they're behaving. When it says that God has unconditional love, it means this love is turned on full blast regardless of your condition. Agape draws no circles. It excludes no one. To God, there's no big shots and no nobodies. They're all his kids who were important to him. You see this? Like, it's a completely different kind of love than human love. Okay, um, This love, it couldn't be expressed in any language. So the Bible began to paint different pictures of it, of, uh, of lost coins. And One of my favorites is the story of Hosea. Um, Hosea was a prophet, and God said uh, he, he, began, he married this woman named Gomer, which I'm sorry if you're Marrying Gomer, you should probably know things are about to go bad. Like, that's just probably not like going to be a great thing. And my apologies to any Gomers in here. But um, it wasn't long, here's what happened is he's married, to the, here's this prophet Jose, he's married to this lady named Gomer, and things begin to go bad. So she begins to cheat on him publicly. So she's running around with the Hollywood elite of Israel, cheating on him, and uh, eventually, so she's, she knows that she's bringing shame on him, and she's doing it anyway. She doesn't mind hurting him. She doesn't mind humiliating him. And eventually she goes, and uh, she actually begins to become a prostitute. She's selling herself as a prostitute, so now there's this public humiliation of this prophet of God who's married to this woman who's not only been cheating on him, but now she's just selling her body. And so the uh, pimp eventually gets tired of, uh, of Gomer, and he sells her on the slavery block, and here's what God says. With his wife for sale on the slave stand, God says, I want you to go and purchase her and reinstate her as your life. Love the woman who has despised you. Seek her highest good. Bring her to your house. Protect her and care for her. Wow. Eros, human love, it rejects those who hurt me. Agape reaches out to its enemies and seeks their highest good. Are you seeing this? This is a completely different kind of love. It wasn't based on Gomer's behavior. God's saying, I want this to be a lesson for how I feel about people who have wandered away from me. Hosea's unceasing love for his wife became God's message to Israel. It was a shadowy picture of how he loved mankind. I love 1 John 3.1. This is in the New King James. It says, behold, which we don't use that word a whole bunch. I think we should probably use it more. I think it's kind of cool. Like someone walks in a room, behold. And here's what it means. It means stop and take a look at this. It has some, like, some awe and wonder attached to it, like, oh my goodness, OMG, you know, with a couple emojis next to it, okay? You know what, they should actually make a Bible with some emojis, shouldn't they? I think that would actually help a lot. Maybe some scratch and sniffs. So here's the, uh, here's the rest of the verse. <laughs> Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. In other words, behold, stop and take a look at this kind of love. This foreign kind of love that you would never find on earth unless God himself came here and brought it here in his own person. Like this love, you're never going to find it naturally on earth. It had to come from another realm. Imagine you're in the Arctic Circle on vacation with your family, and um, you're there in the the frozen tundra, and all of a sudden you see an orange tree from Florida. You'd be like, behold, what is this thing doing here? Like, Like I am not expecting to find this. That's the same idea here. It's like you're going along life and you're experiencing human love. People treat you good, you treat them good. You scratch my back, I scratch yours, you know. You come and grovel, then maybe I'll forgive you, but you're going to have to. Like, that's human love. And here it is. Behold, like what is this kind of love, this foreign kind of love? When I say God is love, that is the most radical statement that has ever burst upon the ears of any human being. It is nothing like human love. There's no comparison to it. There's human love and then there's God's kind of love. They're in different realms. When I come to God, I'm not saying that He has limitless human love. There's a chasm between uh, the best human love and God's love. When the Bible says God's in love, it's not just saying He's got a whole bunch of human kind of love, it's a different category. Human love, it heats up and it cools down, right? Sometimes you're feeling more loving towards your spouse, towards your kids, towards your boss, towards your neighbors. Like sometimes you're just, you know, we've even got that saying I'm not feeling the love. Right? Because it can heat up and it can cool down. Here's some good news. God's love does not heat up when you're in worship and meditating on scriptures, reading the Bible and doing all the things we're supposed to do, right? It doesn't heat up in that and it doesn't cool down when you act bad. Like, what kind of love is this? Agape. God cannot love more, he cannot love less. For God to change his love, he would cease to exist because he is love. He's not merely loving. He is love on full blast for his kids, regardless of their behavior. And that means God loves you. He doesn't love you because of who you are. He loves you because of who he is. Guys, this will change your life. This will get you out of depression. This will give you hope. It's the opposite of human love. See, I don't go around with this endless supply of love looking for somebody to bestow that upon because of who I am, right? That's not how human love works. When your teenager comes home from school and says they've fallen in love, what do they mean? I've now found a person to I can just pour myself on and wish their highest good and just serve them. No, no, that's not what they mean. It means that they found someone who was beautiful. They were hot. They were what, I don't even know what the words are anymore. I'm, I'm out of this game a little bit here. I've just got one and I'm very happy and trying to do my best, but the lingo is, you know, they're not looking for someone to pour a tsunami of pure love upon, right? They say things like, I fell in love, as if it was just, just kind of like a seizure. It just came on them. They just, All of a sudden, they're just walking along, and the music, everything's slowed down, and they're running with the hair, and like, right? That's what they're talking about. They're talking about the beauty of the object made them fall in love. That's human love. When I fell in love with Mary, I wasn't walking around saying, okay, God, I've got this unconditional love. Who can I point it at the rest of my life? No. Uh, the first thing I noticed was she was up on stage singing. She had a red shirt with blue jeans and plaid pockets, and I shouldn't have been looking at the plaid pockets, but I was. <laughs> I said, uh, I, said uh, I remember I dedicated that summer to the Lord. I said, God, you know, I'm not going to date. It's just you and me. And I saw her, and I said, God, can we add a third to this party? I was like, she's gorgeous, and then I took her out, and she laughed at my jokes, and like karate movies, I was like, will you marry me? I'm like, <laughs> check, 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 I only had three requirements. <laughs> Human love depends on the beauty of the beloved. God loves you with an infinite passion because of who he is, not because of how beautiful, amazing, godly, awesome you are. There's a lot of ways that uh, Satan tries to block the revelation of God's love, and I think the biggest one is the performance trap. It's it's subtle, and that's why it's so deadly. So if you remember some uh, some of the old pumps, you had to actually kind of put a little bit of water in to get the water out. You had to prime the pump, right? I think we think that uh, that's how God's love is, is I got to do a little something to make him kind of those loving feelings kind of emerge. See, it's easy to believe in salvation. It's all Jesus. There's nothing I can do for salvation. But then after salvation, we think that there's some things we can do to get on God's good side. Right, if I read my Bible a little more, I pray, you know, I fast, I witness, I mean, whatever those things are, we think that we're actually priming the pump, and God's heart is like, oh, this is my special one. That's human love. In the natural world, you get what you deserve. Your employers don't hire you based on their agape love for you. You have to perform. You perform badly, you're punished or fired. The same is true in most human relationships. You don't perform well, you don't get up to me, you go out a couple circles. I've had many married couples tell me essentially, they don't deserve my love about their spouse. That's human love. However, the nearly too good to be new, true news of the gospel is that we don't get what we deserve. I mean, just think about how beautiful the word unconditional love is. He loves you regardless of your condition. He loves you the same on your best days. I hope this is getting through to somebody. He loves you on your best days the same as he does your worst days. You know those worst days. You wake up, just kind of, what's going on? And says, you know, he loves you just as much in those days. Angel Womack's got this thing he calls spiritual dyslexia. Now, dyslexia is when a person sees things backward. They would read God as dog, right? How many of you know there's a big difference between God and dog? Unless you're Hindu. Bad joke there. Right. <laughs> Spiritual dyslexia, that wasn't in the notes. That was a free one. Spiritual dyslexia It has the same effect on people, where people see scriptures backwards. Okay, let me read you this verse, 1 John 2, 3 through 5, okay? Um, oh, yeah, nice. Here's how we can be sure that we've, we truly come to know God if we keep his commands. If someone claims, I have come to know God by experience, yet doesn't keep his commands, he is a phony and the truth finds no place in him. A dyslexic Christian sees this verse and says, I want to know God, so I need to keep more of his commandments. Right? That's what a dyslexic Christian would see. These verses are actually saying the opposite. They were saying keeping God's commandments is the result of knowing God. So when I come and give you an old covenant, I'm not going to do this. If someone were to come and give you an old covenant message, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. No, 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 you just need to understand his love better. You need to know God better, and you'll live more holy on accident than you ever could in your own strength. You need to love God more. No, the Bible, that's spiritual dyslexia. You need to receive his love more. We love him because he first loved us. You need to walk in the Spirit so you don't love. Oh, you know, if you walk in the Spirit, you won't walk in the flesh. You, know, and, uh, you need to get rid of the flesh so you can walk in the Spirit. No, no, that's not what it says. It says walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. You don't try to shovel all the darkness out of the room so the light come on. You turn on the light, darkness leaves. Experiencing God's love will produce a holy life. Here's what happens. Is this dyslexic condition, it ties our performance. If I'm going to get on God's good side, if I'm going to get him to love me, if I'm going to walk in the Spirit, if I'm going to da 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 then I have to, no, 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 no. Jesus already did all those things so you could do it. You just have to believe. And as you believe and encounter it, you will be more transformed by just receiving his love, understanding his goodness, than you ever could through just, ah, i got to get up early. i got to stay up late. I mean, whatever those things are. We didn't do anything to earn that love, and there's nothing we can do to lose it. I think the best illustration of this is, like, babies. How many of you guys recognize babies, they don't do a lot to help out around the house? They're not pulling their own weight. They're just filling their pants. <laughs> crying, throwing up, waking you up. Right? But I don't know what it is. Like, I, I remember my wife and I, we, we, we enjoy television. I know some people are like, oh, I don't have time for DV. Oh, we make time. And so... Um, And so, but when she was pregnant and she got to a certain point, like, you know, you could see the baby moving in there and like, you see like an elbow or something like swipe across and we would just like watch her stomach. It was like really probably weird now that I'm talking about this, but it was like, we were already in love with this little baby before we ever met him. And when he came out, I remember we used to just sit there and we would lay the kids in the bed and we would just watch him. And they would sit there, and they would wiggle and gurgle, and we would just ooh and ah over every bowel movement. It was just like, this is amazing. This kid is so advanced. I remember when we took took Joshua, our oldest, uh, home from the hospital, the poor little guy. Uh, I remember um, people would come in the room, and I'd say, wash your hands, and they're like, well, we're not going to hold the baby. Wash your hands. Like, like we're just, we were those parents at first. I remember when we took him home in like the car seat for the first time. We had him so bundled up and there. I was, I was literally driving on the freeway with the emergency flashers on going 25 like I was carrying nitroglycerin down the road. Just, just like totally defensive driving and everything. It was like he hadn't done anything amazing and yet we just, we just loved this little guy. That just gives you a small glimpse into what God's like. Before you do anything amazing, He's like, I love you. I see who you can be. I just. God loves Hitler as much as He does Billy Graham. Like, all right, that's good. He loves Donald Trump and Barack Obama and ISIS the same. All right, getting a little closer there. He loves the people at Fox News as much as He does at CNN News. He loves the men, the women, and those who are confused over their identity the same. He loves the Wolverines and the Buck. Okay, maybe I've gone too far. Maybe I've gone too far. That sounded like a northern accent who said that, yeah. I think a lot of times God is pictured as the policeman. Out in control, looking for sin, but he's actually more like the fa- the father from Finding Nemo, going through any kind of dangers to find that lost kid. Isaiah forty nine verses fifteen and sixteen: Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Uh, those of you who had kids, uh, meal times, nursing times—that's pretty much your life. It would be impossible for a nursing mother to forget the nursing child. That is pretty much your 24-7 consciousness, right? I love this. Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. Wow. See, whenever I look at my imagination at the face of God, I see him smiling and on the verge of a delighted laugh. How do you see God? Arms crossed. I remember my father-in-law he had, a, he had an encounter, a supernatural encounter, and in the encounter, he uh, saw Jesus, and as he went towards Jesus, Jesus folded his arms and was disappointed and turned away. And so for years, he was just uh, just heartbroken by this. It was like, you know God didn't approve of him. And uh, it was years later he had the revelation it was actually a false angel who appeared to him to give him that impression that God was disappointed. It's pretty easy to tell a persons view of God. Whoever God is to you, he'll be through you. Angry preachers, they got an angry God. Angry Christians, they got an angry God. They're always out to just point out everybody else's fault and no, you took this out of context and this and that. I don't treat my kids that way. I'm not there looking to nitpick every single thing and love covers a multitude of sins. That orphan spirit likes to expose it because there's this subtle pride that comes up where I've got it right and you've got it wrong. It's actually just this fear thing. You're just feeling distance and you're trying to tread water. I love Zephaniah 3.17. He rejoices over you with singing. There's not a parent in here you haven't stood at your, uh, you know, watching your kids sleep and just had your heart swell. Just had all those emotions come. I'm sure I, I, don't, I have a terrible singing voice and Remember, I used to just make up songs about the kids and sing over them. And What's happening, parents, when you get there? You're getting a glimpse into the heart of God. When Jesus described how God reacts with us, how does he do it? He said it's like a shepherd who found a sheep that was lost. I've heard teaching on this before. Maybe you've heard it before. I haven't heard it for a while because I've been here. But... Um, there's this teaching that when the, you know, the, the, the sheep would walk away from the shepherd and the shepherd would find him, he would take his staff and break the legs of the sheep. How many of you guys have heard this stupid teaching before? He would break the legs of the sheep, but then he would wear the, the sheep like a scarf around him and he would get this intimacy after the beating. Is <laughs> God the Father, not the Godfather. Guys, there's this crazy, crazy bad stuff out there that just pictures God as this ultimate meanie with a magnifying glass, burning the ants, sending natural disasters. Yeah, I actually had to block a guy on Facebook. He was arguing. me. I just posted something awesome about Jesus, and he's just posting all these old covenant scriptures about God sending earthquakes, and I'm like, dude, read it in a modern translation. It says, when God speaks, the earthquakes. It's a metaphor. He's not sending earthquakes on people. And so, then he, so then I like deleted the post, and he sends me this Facebook. I'm like, dude, I'm not looking to... Uh, he's like, you're arguing with the Christ in me. I'm like, no, I'm arguing with the Pharisee, and you, you need to stop it. Like I'm, I'm about to block you here anyway. So he's blocked. You know what? It gives me great joy to block negative people, and yesterday was a day of great joy. What is God like? He took the lost sheep, the sheep full of mistakes, the sheep that upset the life of the ranch, and he does take the sheep and he puts it around him, wears them like a scarf, but the legs aren't broken. Isn't it interesting that when you're at your lowest point is some of the most intimate times you encounter with God when you experience his love? It doesn't even seem right. Paul's like, where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. It's like when you're at your most vulnerable, and you just, Mary had this picture of people just having an open heaven over their minds, and you're like, letting God be today. Like, don't fight his love, don't try to figure it out, just let him, let him. Like, when you figure at your lowest point, you feel the most unworthy, man, you are a great candidate right now for God's love. It's like when we're at our lowest, it's like when he becomes the sweetest, I don't know what it is. He loves you with a love that never ceases, a love that is passionate and infinitely strong. And until we get this, we have nothing. We have nothing. uh, nothing to stand on. So I want to just, uh, the last closing minutes here, uh, I want to help you experience the love of God. There's a big difference between hearing about God's love and getting a bear hug from God. There's a big difference between having a lecture on laughter and just having a big belly laugh. I like that one. <laughs> what if you personalize God's love and favor in your life? It's one thing to say God, God is love, God loves me. I used to think John was the favorite of the 12 disciples. And um, you know, you remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We got the, you know, the 12 disciples. I used to think John was the favorite because the Bible calls him the disciple whom Jesus loved. How many of you guys remember that phrase? The disciple whom Jesus loved. I was like, man, that had to be awesome. I was under the impression that John had some kind of special favor with Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, I've discovered the secret of John's favor. The phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is only found in one book of the Bible. The one written by John! It's not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. It's in John. The disciple whom Jesus loved, written by John! John! That's like me writing a letter, you know, Jesus' favorite disciple is Jim Baker, signed Jim Baker. (laughs) Hold on here. What was John doing? He was practicing and personalizing the love that Jesus had for him. I got some good news for you, gang. He's no respecter of person. There is no favoritism in heaven. You could put it this way. We're all his favorites. You're like, that's impossible. Welcome to the supernatural. Welcome to agape. It's up to you and it's up to me to see ourselves as I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. Some of you need to put that as your screensaver on your computer, a sticky note on your dashboard of your car, an index card where you, where you brush your teeth, uh, on the wallpaper on your phone. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. What if you begin to get that in your identity? It's actually, I believe, the key to receiving all the good promises of God. Because if you don't believe that, you're going to go into performance mode, which puts you in the old covenant and you don't get to receive any of the benefits of the new covenant. What if it just all started with, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved? And you blow it. You look at pornography, you lie, you exaggerate, you do whatever it might be. You just have bad thoughts, you know, whatever. You lose your temper. And you just stop and you say, You know what? I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. You will get more free from that behavior receiving his love. Listen, gang, I've tried shame, guilt, and condemnation. Not helpful! How I many of you figured out like, like, like putting on the fig leaves and hiding from God is not like the greatest plan? You get to see the heart of God right in the, the first couple of chapters of the Bible there. Adam and Eve blow it, and what does God say? It says He's walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and it says, uh, Where are you? I'm looking for my kids. I miss my kids. I want to spend time with you. And there they were hiding. And they're like, oh, we realized we were naked. He's like, who told you you were naked? He didn't come there to condemn them, he came to spend time with them right after they sinned. What would it look like for you to see that as a part of your identity? I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. I want us to be a church that grows in the consciousness of the Father's unconditional love for us. I want you to grow in your favor consciousness. I'm not talking like I'm fat and sassy and I'm just expecting these, I'm entitled to these blessings. I've heard some people, they try to make these declarations. You can tell it's coming from an orphan place and they're trying to act like they're entitled to it rather than just this son or daughter who just recognizes, I expect good things to come to me because of Jesus. I'm talking when you walk into the job interview, I believe favor is a lot more than just this lucky rabbit's foot that gives Christians a little edge in a job interview. The Bible says you receive the blessing of Abraham. Abraham, the Bible pictures, he had an aura about him. It says God became his shield. He went in front of him and behind him. I know we're getting a little, we can use these terms, can we not? Bible calls it a shield. Today, they probably call it an aura. But Abraham had an aura that wherever he went, the blessings of God followed him. Guys, Abraham had some major faults. And you will not find one passage in the Bible where Abraham was punished because he was not under the law. God says, I want you to go by yourself. He takes a lot with him. Strike one. He goes and uh, Pharaoh's like, who is this hot lady? Oh, she's my sister. God didn't come and rebuke Pharaoh. Pharaoh came and rebuked Moses. Said, why didn't you tell me I had this dream? God came to me. Then uh, he does it. I mean, apparently his wife must have been gorgeous like in her 70s or something like this because another king decades later wants Sarah, uh, his wife again. He lies. He lies about it again. Passes down lying to Isaac. He just. He does all these things, and God's the one who comes and fights for him. Uh, fights for him, even though he's the one blowing it. You know what? That's a picture of the new covenant. People who are not under the law. People who receive the blessing of Abraham by faith. What's the blessing of Abraham? God says, "I bless you in whatever you put your hand to. I'll go before you. I'll go behind you. It'll be like an aura." What if we became favor conscious instead of sin conscious? Hashtag, come on, somebody. <laughs> Guys, this is good news. I read this story. Um, is an Oregon pastor. He was a counselor at a state mental institution. When he, these were like the most helpless cases. This was like the, the highest level of care needed. When he arrived and for the next several weeks, no one responded to him. Most of the people there could not communicate or take care of themselves physically and had no interest in the young pastor who only wanted to help them. Sometimes they even laughed at him. Then one day, the pastor felt God tell him to sit down in the middle of the room and to sing, Jesus Loves Me, over and over for a full hour. Nothing happened, but he didn't know what else to do. So for several weeks, he just kept coming, sitting on the floor and singing, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Time went by, and one day the pastor noticed that one of the patients was singing with him. He kept going, and before too long, others joined in. In one month, 36 of the patients were moved from the critical care area of the mental hospital to a place where they were responsible for themselves. They had improved dramatically. Before the year was over, all but two of the patients who had listened to the pastor sing were well enough to leave the hospital. Now, you and I know there's no magic that the pastor was carrying. There's no, nothing magical about a song. But there's something powerful about people getting a revelation of Jesus loves me. This I know. Not this I heard or this I feel sometimes. I know that he loves me. And it sets captives free. I'm going to close with this uh, reading from Romans 8. And then we're going to sing Jesus loves me together. Yes, we are. And you're going to help me. Romans chapter 8. This is OMG-level good news. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything else he has to give. Guys, when you were at your worst, he gave his son. Now that you're in the family, he's not holding anything back. Oh, this is good. Verse 33. Who then would dare accuse those whom God has chosen and love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued the final verdict over them, not guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one! For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards us. Troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to become between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long, we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet even in the midst of all these things, guys, we're not redeemed from persecution. There will be persecution. We're redeemed from condemnation, sickness, poverty. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. For God has made us to be more than conquerors. For you to be more than conquerors, you're going to have to have something to conquer. And he has demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. So now I will live with confidence that there is nothing in the universe with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. Come on, somebody. There is nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love which he lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Amen. Wow. Say this with me. I am the disciple Whom Jesus loves. loves. Just close your eyes and just focus on, uh, like I said, I like to focus on the smiling face of God on the uh, the verge of a delighted laugh. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Say it. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll take this from information to revelation. I pray that we will be a people who practice and personalize the love of God at our worst and at our best. That Lord, you will open up our understanding that your love is a different kind of love. <laughs> you know, is there anybody in here who you did not know God's love? Maybe you've never been introduced to Jesus. You've never become His follower. You never put your trust in Him. The good news is real simple. News is something that's already happened. It's not something you must now do. The good news is that all the, uh, all the obstacles between you and God have been moved, removed. And God has nothing but good things for you. And he wants to be a part of your life. So the, the gospel is, I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. I'm gonna trust Jesus, not just believe some facts about him 2,000 years ago, but I'm going to trust him with my life, my marriage, my finances, just every part of your life. God, I wanna learn from you how to do this and I'll never be alone again. I'll do it in your strength. That's the good news. And so if you're here and you have never trusted Jesus as your savior, I'm just going to ask you to do something bold, and uh, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. And we're not trying to embarrass anybody, but there's a powerful scripture that says, "If you confess," Jesus says, "If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father." And so there's something about just taking that step and just saying, "I'm all in." Every person in here who's a believer at one time, they had to just say, "I'm all in," and then they sealed it publicly through baptism. And so if you're here today and you do not know Jesus, be like, I want to trust Jesus. I want to encounter this love. I'm just going to ask you to be bold with every head up, every eye open, everyone looking around. I'm going to ask you just to be bold and say, you know what? I I want this Jesus. I want to be introduced to him today. Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand high and proud. Anybody in here? You with the sweaty palms, the pounding heart. Yeah, Talking to you. Anybody in here? All right. If you, uh, if you felt you wanted to respond, but you uh, just didn't, weren't able to do it, our ministry teams will be here at the end. They would love to pray with you and help connect you. And, uh, and if you're just not sure yet, just keep coming back. Just let God keep speaking to your heart. Keep hanging around some of the people in here. They're kind of contagious. It's a good thing. So, All right, let's stand for a closing song. In case you don't know the words, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. All right, guys, ready? All right, Mary, come help me here. <laughs> Don't let the preachers sing or the singers preach. That's rule number one. Oh, you got it. Okay. You got a word or are you going to help? Or are you no. going to sing? Okay, all right. You know what? Before we do, one last thought. One of the ways God loves you is through other people. One of the ways, and one of the most powerful ways that I have experienced love is, uh, is through my parents. And so I just, it's just been very easy for me to feel intimate with God because of the relationship I have with my dad. One of the things we would do on Tuesday nights through high school, my sister had cheerleading, mom had uh, Bible study, is we would go to, uh, on Telegraph Road, we'd go to uh, Picasso subs, we'd get Italian Hole whole hot minus tomato and onion extra dressing. We'd get a raspberry Sundance sparkler. We'd get a pint of Häagen-Dazs raspberry sorbet and cream. We would eat the subs, watch karate movies and rub each other's feet. We called it subs and rubs. <laughs> and I just watched a man who was very busy, who had a lot of responsibility at work, take such an interest in my life. We would talk about girls, we would talk about sports, we would talk about the future. And I uh, just, God began to love me through my father. And I want you to just maybe reflect in your life. There's been people in this church who have loved Mary and I well. When we weren't performing awesome, when we maybe were doing better. And so uh, I, I'm, very, I'm very thankful for that. And I believe that God has placed those people in your life. Some of them you might be sitting next to. But here, here's, here's some good news too. You get to be that to somebody else. You know, you may be, uh, I'm just looking at a couple here who uh, somebody loved you. From this church, and uh, showed you what the father was like, and uh, you know, there's another couple back there in their in their neighborhood. They uh, they began to love another couple, show them what the father's like, and now they're in the kingdom. And so, you know, it, you can only receive so much before you just have to give it away. So I just want to just leave you with that picture of that God's already been loving you through other people, and um, but you are empowered to be that that same force of love. Sound good?